Hello and welcome to a Wednesday edition of Always College Football. Today is October 12th. We hope you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show. It's on the ESPN's YouTube channel. Or if you're here with us via the podcast on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, we really appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. We've had a lot of fun with you in these first six weeks of the season, recapping the games and previewing some of the games. And as you know, if you've been with us all along, on Wednesday, we answer the questions. The 10 biggest questions heading into the college football weekend will get answered. There might be a couple more every once in a while, but today we're doing 10. All right. We also are going to dive into maybe the most underappreciated position in college football here in the 2022 season. I'll explain here in just a moment. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, now it's time to dive into the 10 questions we want answered to here in week seven of the college football season. We do it every Wednesday. So, Coops, let's kick it off. All right, number one, which team will be able to more effectively run the football, Michigan or Penn State? Well, I think it's a really interesting game in that regard, right? Like, this is kind of good on good. You look at what Michigan's been able to do. You look at what Penn State's been able to do. Let's start with both defenses because ultimately like how well you run the football is going to kind of come down to who you're playing against right let's talk about Michigan first Michigan is seventh currently in the FBS in total rush defense okay they give up 82 yards a game pretty good right I think so (laughs) understatement of the day perhaps they've given up just 2.62 yards per carry that's sixth in the FBS Penn State meanwhile they're fifth In the FBS, as far as their rush defense is concerned, giving up 80 yards per game. So Michigan, I mean, God, way worse. Clearly, 82 yards a game, Penn State 80. (laughs) Both teams incredible against the run. Penn State gives up a little bit more in yards per carry. They give up 2.96 yards per carry, but that's still 15th in college football. Both teams have been phenomenal against the run so far. I think that's really what it comes down to. You look at Penn State and their defense as a whole, I'm not sure their offense could have played much worse and they played against Northwestern. It was sloppy. It was nasty. They had five turnovers, four fumbles. It was hideous performance offensively from Penn State's offense. However, you know what those five turnovers resulted in? Zero points. That's right. Zero points off turnovers. That's pretty dang impressive to see what Penn State's been able to do defensively. Looking at Michigan's defense, they've also been excellent. First half of last week against Indiana, felt like the tempo kind of got to them a little bit. Really didn't play great. They were in the first half of that football game, gave up almost 200 yards in the first half. 
But you look at the second half, they adjusted and got much better, allowing just 29 yards in the second half of that football game. So both teams, excellent on the defense side of the football. But offensively right now, how can you pick against Blake Corum? I think Blake Corum's playing better than anybody right now at running back. The guy's averaging six and a half yards a carry nearly, and it's 730 yards already. An offense, plus he's finding the end zone on a very rare, regular basis. Obviously, the only guy ahead of him right now, as far as touchdowns are concerned, is Izzy Banakanda, who we had on the show earlier this week. He had six touchdowns last week. So I look at this team, Michigan's excellent. Quorum is the guy that makes it all go. I'll tell you what, though, don't sleep on Nick Singleton. He's getting more and more comfortable. Yes, put it on the deck a couple times last week, but have been very impressed with what he's done and being able to create a one-two punch between what he does and then what Catron Allen does, they're both averaging over five and a half yards a carry. Singleton up there at 7.35 yards per carry. Difficult to find anyone in college football doing it much better than he is at this point. It's been amazing. I think Penn State's a little bit of an unknown. I think Michigan a little bit more battle-tested right now. This is really the first kind of major test for Penn State, and we're going to find out exactly where they are. If you look at what they've done to this point, According to the ESPN FPI. Now, I'm, I don't really live by that statistic, but I think as far as like strength of schedule and strength of record, I think those metrics are helpful when it, when using the FPI. Right now, up to this point, Penn State is 90th in FPI. All right, 90th in strength of schedule, but down the stretch, they have the fifth most difficult remaining schedule. So yeah, we're, right now maybe Penn State's a bit of a question mark. I think from here on out, we're going to find out everything we want to know about the Nittany Lions, and it'll be great to see them in action this weekend against a really good Michigan football team. All right, number two, who's going to be the next coach to be fired? (laughs) Well, I think everyone and their brother thinks it's going to be Brian Harson right now, right? People have already said, well, it's going to be this week. It's going to be last week. They get blown out. It's going to be sideways. Here's the problem. In order to to make a move on a head coach, you must first understand who the interim is going to be. Like who on Auburn's staff right now is capable of being an interim coach. People say, well, Cadillac Williams, what, what, what gives you that idea? You think he's capable now of all of a sudden going from running back coach to now becoming the, the head coach and the guy that has to address the team and run the practices. Like he doesn't have that much experience. I mean, we're it's a pretty big leap to go from position coach to now interim coach. Look at what's going on with Jeff Schmetting on defense. Look at what they have at Eric Keesaw on offense. It's not like they have a guy that's like, oh, well, for sure, he can take over. He can run the team at this point. So uh, I have heard based on you know what people have said that, they, that you know it's likely that he finishes the season. Um, where else could it potentially go? I mean, Jeff Scott at South Florida, it's been tough. Obviously, they're one and five. They had Florida playing you know, kind of poorly, almost got the Gators there. But other than that, man, really hasn't looked very good. They managed just 158 yards of total offense uh, against Louisville. So, I mean, this is a South Florida team that's that's really struggled. Uh, now, Jeff Scott's had a difficult run. I mean, he's 4-23. and 23, So, it's, it's not good. Neil Brown at West Virginia, people have kind of circled him as a guy that's on the hot seat. I don't know if I agree. Um, I think that team's actually a little better than their record might indicate. Uh, Brady Hoke has had a tough go of it at San Diego State. David Shaw at Stanford. It's crazy to think that he's maybe in a position to where there could be change at Stanford. I mean, the first, gosh, six years of his tenure, it felt like he won 10 games every year. And 
you know, for a number of reasons, they've kind of fallen by the wayside. So uh, I don't really like to think about guys um, losing their job. I just don't. It makes me uncomfortable and it makes me sad. I mean, it really does. It makes me really sad. But ultimately, you know, you're defined by wins and losses. And, uh, and a lot of the aforementioned guys, uh, their win-loss record is not where it needs to be relative to the expectation level of the program. So uh, there will be moves made, but it's difficult, I think, to project at this point why you would make the move. Because uh, look, a, a Wisconsin situation, for example, that makes sense. All right, you have Jim Leonard. Let's see what he can do. Seven games. Let's evaluate him. Does the program get better under his leadership? That That's an obvious one. But if you don't have a guy that you can for sure point to and say, all right, he needs to be our interim, then I think it makes it uh, a lot more difficult to justify firing your coach in the middle of the season. That's fair. All right. Number three, will Oklahoma's defense show a pulse against Kansas? Now, they're a heavy favorite, right? Um, I'm not sure why. Uh, if I'm going to be completely honest, saw them in person last week. And I look at what they were able to do against Quinn Ewers, who's not the most mobile guy and doesn't have the greatest offensive line sitting in front of them. They didn't record a sack, and they had just four tackles for loss. Uh, they've given up now 42, 55, and 49 points in the last three games. Uh, and I'm not sure there's a whole lot of bona fide difference makers on either side of the ball right now, with the exception to some of the receivers and maybe the running backs. I mean, Dylan Gabriel was missed last week. There's no doubt. Um, but even he, prior to him missing last week, had missed some throws against Kansas State. And really in the first quarter of the game against TCU, I know he missed the last three quarters, but he didn't play great in that first quarter either. So uh, I think Oklahoma's got a world of trouble. I do think that they have some decent playmakers. Like I think Braden Willis at tight end, uh, Jalil Farouk, Marvin Mims, uh, Eric Gray, Marcus Major. Like I think they have some good pieces and I think they have some good playmakers. But ultimately, if you can't stop people on defense, it's going to be incredibly difficult to be competitive. And right now, y'all, Kansas is... I know they didn't win last week, but has anyone lost respect for Kansas now? after the performance last week against a good TCU team? Because I certainly haven't. Like, who's playing better? Who, who's, who's been more consistent? The answer is Kansas uh, by a fairly wide margin. Now, I know it's at home, but man, I, I think it's going to be tough. If, they, like, if Oklahoma gets this win, I'll be really impressed. I mean that. I will be really impressed because that's a fairly significant turnaround. And to get as, as beat down as you did against Texas, to turn things around, to rally the troops and to come out and beat a good Kansas team, that would be an impressive win. I know people will say it's Kansas. Uh, to me, that's an impressive win, especially knowing how you looked in each of the last two weeks. So I think this is a massive week for Brent Venables to identify guys on his roster that he's going to be able to trust moving forward and to be able to kind of stop the bleeding right here in its tracks with a game that is winnable and it's at home. All right, big one in the Big Ten. Will the winner of Illinois, Minnesota win the Big Ten West? All right, I like this question a lot. Um, I like. Thank you. I thought of it myself. I'm glad you did. Yeah, that you're so you. good. You're so good at producing. I love that. Um, I, I do like this question a lot because I look at the Big Ten West and it feels like it's coming down to three teams: Purdue, of course. You got Minnesota, and you got Illinois. Now, we know that Minnesota right now has a game and a half behind Purdue because Purdue beat them head-to-head. -head. 
So Purdue essentially has to lose two for Minnesota to get back to the top of the race. But I don't think any of us look at that and say, oh, that's in, that's impossible. That's unthinkable. That's very, definitely reasonable. I mean, it's not like Purdue's superhuman. You know I mean? So I do think Purdue is is gettable. And, and I think if they lost a couple, Minnesota might be in position to go and and take care of business. You look at what they have down the stretch too. I mean, all these teams still have an awful lot of road mines along the way. A couple things we got to figure out. All right. One, for Minnesota, all right, Mo Ibrahim and his health. All right. We know last week him being sidelined and him not being at a hundred percent was a big reason why they decided to sit him down and look at the impact that it had on the team. They wanted to give that ankle another week and who can blame them knowing the seven game Big Ten road stretch that they had, or the seven game stretch they have against Big Ten teams coming up here in like the next eight weeks. So it's understandable why they did what they did, but man, the offense was completely stagnant without Ibrahim in the lineup. So that's significant. The other thing too, Illinois' rushing defense. We know Ibrahim when he's been in the lineup, he's been phenomenal. Well, Illinois' rushing defense, last week they held Iowa to 52 yards on 30 carries. Right? They've been one of the best teams in college football right now against the run. And you think about it, even though they've done a great job in holding up against the run, they also can get after the quarterback. They had five sacks against Spencer Petras last year, last week. So I look at what Illinois is doing in the front seven defensively, man, and I think that's going to be really tough sledding for Tanner Morgan and Ibrahim, and they might have to throw Illinois out of loading the box because right now, if I'm Illinois, my goal is to stop the run. I'll let Tanner Morgan beat me. If he beats me, so be it. But I'm going to stop the run because I know Ibrahim's not going to get off. That's the guy I have to contain because he's obviously the most important part of this offense. The last piece that we need to find out about this game, what about Tommy DeVito? Left with that ankle injury in the second series. Really, after that point, it's not like there was any any point where Archer Sikowski did a whole lot. I mean, yes, he led a couple scoring drives, but it's not like you know he was lighting it up up and down the field and they were scoring a bunch of touchdowns. So a lot of things, I think, to figure out for Illinois if Tommy DeVito can't go. We know Chase Brown's legit. We know that running game's legit. We know both defenses for Minnesota and Illinois are legit. So I think it's going to be a great game this weekend. And the winner, I think, is in prime position to potentially get to the Big Ten Championship game. And for me, right now, based on what I've seen in recent weeks, it's going to be really hard for me to pick against Illinois. All right, number five, and this is a strange question, but I think a fair one. Will Alabama be able to handle the Tennessee environment? It's a great question. And we, we know it's been long documented, right? Now, with the exception of the Arkansas game, Bama handled that environment really well, right? Passed that test with flying colors, lost their quarterback in the process. Very, very difficult game under the circumstances. But man, they I mean they look great with the exception of about a quarter in that game from the end of the second quarter to about the middle three quarters of the way through the third quarter. They looked pretty good, right? Yes, there was a period in which Arkansas looked unstoppable, but man. For the most part, Bama responded to that adversity and found a way to get it done on the road. Then it was the following week. And last week, I thought, is one that kind of leaves some scars, right? That one kind of... That was difficult for us to watch as college football fans because think about what Alabama's been. They don't often beat themselves, right? Like If you're going to beat Alabama, you're going to beat Alabama. Like You're going to have to play well. Um, it's rare to see a scenario where Alabama turns the ball over four times. It's their most, by the way, since 2015 when they turned it over four times against Ole Miss. 
they had only five turnovers in the first five games. So keep that in mind. Alabama, this is familiar. However, not as familiar the last couple weeks or last couple years. Alabama missed two field goals. That's their most since 2019. That was against Duke. They were six of seven in the first five games of the year. They also had two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. That's their most since playing against Oklahoma back in 2018. They had not been flagged for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty yet this year prior to last week. So just an uncharacteristically sloppy game last week from Alabama. Now, insert the starting quarterback, Bryce Young, into the lineup. You're probably going to have a different result. Obviously, there was some frustration that was exercised, and there were some plays left on the field by Alabama for the most part. Uh, the scary thing is I thought Jalen Milrow had two interceptions dropped and could have been worse, perhaps, as far as turnovers were concerned. Will Bryce Young be available? That's a significant question mark. I think he will be based on my knowledge of the situation. I also look too at the running game. If Jameer Gibbs is out on the field, Alabama will still likely be able to run the football. He's been phenomenal the last few weeks. 154 rushing yards against Alabama or against AM has had 360 rushing yards in the past two games. So he is really hitting his stride and he looks like he could become the bell cow back in the event in which Bryce Young is not sitting at 100%. And you think about the tempo that Tennessee utilizes too. It might be kind of helpful for Alabama to play a little more ball control. Maybe try to take the air out of the football a little bit and keep that Tennessee offense on the sidelines. So it'll be interesting to see just how Alabama runs the football. But if they have a sloppy performance like they had last week on the road, it's going to be very difficult to overcome those mistakes to get the victory. We know this Tennessee team's off the charts good. They're scoring on 62% of their offensive drives. It's the best rate in the FBS, and they've averaged nearly 550 yards per game. That's also the best in the FBS. So Bama's got their work cut out for them this week, but with a Bryce Young likely coming back into the mix, I think they still have the recipe to be able to go on the road and get the job done in what should be an insanely hostile environment, but one that we should all be looking forward to as fans of college football. All right, number six, another big game. This one in the Big 12. Who will step up and make the plays, Spencer Sanders or Max Duggan? Let's start with Max Duggan. Uh, he's been one of the great stories in college football this year. He's fifth right now among FBS quarterbacks in total QBR. And I think what I've been most impressed with, yeah, yes, he's throwing the ball well. He's pushing the ball down the field. They've been aggressive. But man, how he's running the ball has really been impressive. Of course, had 116 rushing yards, a couple touchdowns against Oklahoma. Against Kansas, had 55 rushing yards and a touchdown. So he right now is, I think, doing a lot of really nice things. He's the third Big 12 player of all time to record 300 passing yards and 50-plus rushing yards, three passing touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown in consecutive games. You get all that? All right. 300 passing, 50 rushing, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. So the four boxes to check. But you'll understand why this is significant when I tell you the company he's joined. All right. Trevon Boykin, back in 2015, remember he was the Big 12 Player of the Year back in 2015. That was the year that TCU, not 2014 was the year the people they thought they should have made the playoff. But 2015 was a very dangerous team as well. And then Baylor's RG3, who, of course, won the Heisman Trophy the year that he had performances like that back-to-back. -back. So you look at what Duggan's doing right now and operating that Sunny Dykes offense. Few have done it better in the Big 12 
in recent memory. And then Spencer Sanders, conversely, really impressive. Has kind of accounted for a lot of his team's productivity. Haven't done a great job running the football, but he does have good weapons on the perimeter. Bryson Green appears to be stepping into what could become a bit of an alpha dog role. He'd yet to break 100 yards in a game this year. Well, he did that against Texas Tech at five catches for 115. So it looks like he's in a great spot to potentially keep that momentum going. You add that to what John Paul Richardson's doing, Brendan Presley, those guys combined for 10 catches for 112 yards. Really, really solid with the group that they have on the perimeter at wide receiver. I also think, too, we just got to monitor Spencer Sanders' health, too. He's kind of cramping there in the second half of that football game. They asked Gundy about it post game uh, if they were worried about the amount of hits that Sanders has taken in the game. Gundy said he's tough as nails, you know, but yeah, naturally very concerned about how exposed he is occasionally to contact. So something to be mindful of moving forward. But Duggan versus Sanders, you will not find outside of maybe Bryce Young versus Hennon Hooker. I mean, those are the two quarterback matchups of the weekend. I mean, it's going to be tough to find a better setup than those. You also have in the West Coast, you got SC, obviously with Caleb Williams going against Cam Rising of Utah. So a lot of good quarterback matchups to preview this week. And I'm looking forward to diving into the tape as the week moves along. All right, number seven. Will Syracuse take care of business against NC State and set up another clash with Clemson? Well, let's start with NC State for a second, okay? Last week was tough in a lot of ways. I mean, you lose Devin Leary, and you're really not able to do a whole lot offensively at all. And luckily, you know, Devin Boykin... There's a lot of Devons in this game, I might add. I'll talk about that in a minute. Devin Boykin has that game-winning interception there at the end to kind of put the game on ice. That was significant. I mean, look at NC State's defense really throughout the year. They've been rock solid, man. I mean, the defense the whole last week with their backup quarterback in the game to come up with a shutout and hold FSU to just six first downs in total there in the second half of that football game, four of which came on the final drive. Shows you just how well they're playing. And Drake Thomas, just a name to remember, dude played his heart out last week. 14 tackles, two TFLs, you know, two PBUs, and a quarterback hit. That guy was all over the place there for the NC State defense, too. So they've really had a kind of a tough go at it, NC State has offensively. They've had a bunch of injuries. Devin Leary, I'm not sure he's going to be available. Sumo Kongbe, he's been out. Obviously, Devin Carter. When Leary went down last week, the offense had just 61 yards. So it's it's been kind of a grind for NC State. Now you got to go up against a team that's been pretty good on defense from start to finish this year. Syracuse has been awesome. I mean, they're 5-0 and for the first time since 1987. So it's in my lifetime, it's the best Syracuse team, starting team I think I've ever seen, right? Uh, a little sloppy last time out against a Power 5 team. I'm not going to talk about the game against Wagner. The last time out against a Power 5 team, that was against Virginia. It wasn't a great performance whatsoever. They won, and they hung on for dear life, but it was not pretty, especially in the second half of that football game. The biggest thing for them, especially going against what could be a backup quarterback and an offense that has struggled, you can't turn the ball over. They had four turnovers against Virginia, and against a backup quarterback that's kind of struggled this year, 
that's about the only way to give NC State's offense significant life. So the good news is that was kind of a rare occurrence for Syracuse. They did not turn the ball over in the first three games. So uh, when it rains, it pours sometimes, and it did that day against Virginia. But if you can keep a clean sheet as far as turnovers are concerned, I like Syracuse's chances of getting it done this week to set up what should be an undefeated clash against Clemson next week in a game that uh, will be very, very interesting. I'll just say that. We've seen really bad Syracuse teams give Clemson all they wanted for whatever reason. I don't know why, but Syracuse has in the last five or six years played well in that matchup. Let's see if they can do it again, assuming they get the win this weekend. All right, number eight. Will it be LSU or Florida who steps up in a season-defining game? Both these teams come in at four and two, right? But it kind of feels like both programs are at a bit of a crossroads, right? I mean, look, I feel pretty good about these coaching hires, and I feel pretty good about the future trajectory of these two programs. Man, I tell you this, five and two sounds a lot different than four and three. And the perception of where your program's at could very much hinge on the outcome of this football game this weekend. So I think this is significant when you look at this. I also want someone to ask Brian Kelly, and we're calling this game, so maybe we'll be the ones to ask it. But man, has he ever seen a gauntlet like he's running right now? And it's not necessarily about good teams, right? Like I'm, like at Auburn. All right, let's, I'll tell you the gauntlet right now. At Auburn, he's at home. Then he's at home against a te- top 10 Tennessee team. Then he's at Florida. Then he's at home against a top 10 Ole Miss team. He's got a bye week to catch his breath before they bring Alabama to town. I mean, that's a gauntlet, man. I'm not saying Auburn's good. I'm not saying you know Florida's great at all. But I'm saying, goodness gracious, road trips. And then sandwiched by two top 10 teams, and then you get a bye, and then you get Bama. It's like, that is a gauntlet, man. I mean, that is a really, really tough stretch. Big thing for LSU is they get got to get off to a better start. It's like every week, they start with like a 14 nothing deficit. This past week, no different. I feel like Tennessee's offense had like 40, points of off, or 40 yards of offense, and yet they led 10 nothing before LSU got to run their fourth offensive snap. And that just can't happen. Obviously... You have a fumble on the opening kickoff. Then you punt it away after a three and out. They take it all the way down to the 25-yard line. So it cannot happen. They also have to be better on critical down and distance. I did not think they did a good job last week on fourth down. The fourth and 10 at the end of half was the one that most people focused on. But there were missed opportunities on fourth down earlier in the game as well. And I think they also have to be much better up front offensively. Yes, they lost their left tackle in the game. Yes, they lost their left guard in the game. Garrett Dellinger appears like he's going to be out for a couple weeks. Will Campbell, after he was dehydrated 12 hours before the game, he missed the lineup as well. He missed the game as well, was out of the lineup. So the left side of the offensive line was for the most part new. They played like it, man. They gave up five sacks and they need to be better going up against a Florida team that does have some athletes in the trenches and does have some athletes, especially on the edges. I do think what you see from Florida, they got to be salivating a little bit with what they saw from LSU's front defensively. They gave up 246 yards rushing last week against Tennessee. That's not going to cut it. And Florida, albeit they've had their ups and downs offensively this year. There've been some really strong moments. There've been some really subpar moments, but if there's one thing they've been able to do for the most part, fairly consistently is run the football is a three headed monster at running back. And if they don't play better up front, LSU, that is, Florida will gash them and take some of the pressure off Anthony Richardson to make throws against one-on-one coverage downfield. All right, number nine, can Utah upend USC's perfect season? 
Well, the shoe's on the other foot this time around, remember? Uh, a couple years ago, back in 2019, Utah was sitting there number 10 in the country. They have to travel to USC. This was back, like I said, 2019, early in the year. It was like four weeks, five weeks into the season, whatever it was. Anyways, Utah goes on the road. They knock out Keaton Slovis. In comes Matt Fink. And Matt Fink, actually, who as the third string quarterback, remember JT Daniels was the starter, opening day starter, then Keaton Slovis. And then comes Matt Fink. He goes in, throws a couple of touchdowns, and upsets Utah at home. That Utah team back in 2019, very real chance of getting to the college football playoff. Of course, they lost in the Pac-12 championship game, but this was a massive, massive game. Now the shoe's on the other foot. SC, undefeated. They're traveling to Utah, who's had their season upended here in the first month and change of the season. They're sitting at 4-2. and two. Can Utah get back and, re- and seek the revenge that USC gave them back in 2019? Utah's defense has some issues, all right? If there's one thing we've figured out is that Utah's defense is not as advertised. The front seven defensively especially has been very, very disappointing. Look, we know Dorian Thompson-Robinson got off, but Zach Charbonnet, man, he had a career day against Utah this past week. Ran for 198 yards. UCLA, in total, went for 212. In addition to the fact that Utah missed a bunch of tackles, man, this has kind of been a trend dating all the way back to when you looked at what Florida did against Utah on the ground as well. Florida ran the ball well with their running backs, but man, the big thing about that group on Florida's team, man, they really ran the ball well with the quarterback. Anthony Richardson that day on broken plays, remember they didn't necessarily corral him. He took off on several different occasions. I believe he had over like 112, 113 yards in that vicinity on like six carries. So quarterback run game has really hurt Utah. They also, I think, need to be sure that they're aware of what Caleb Williams can do on the ground. <laughs> we know that maybe maybe the passing numbers the last couple of weeks for Caleb Williams, not what they've kind of been, at least early in the season, but he can definitely still evade pressure. He can definitely still create on his own. And we know that he can definitely churn out yardage on the ground if given the opportunity and if Utah is not sound in their pass rushing lanes. And if that's not enough for you, you got Travis Dye to account for too who obviously had a great game last week and became, for the first time maybe in his career, a mega bell cow. I mean, 28 carries, had 14 touches in the fourth quarter alone. So Travis Dye clearly capable of taking over the game if the passing game is a little bit stagnant. So I think Utah is going to have to play great this week, not just defensively, but offensively as well, because Cam and company offensively, they might have to match points if their defense plays as poorly as it did last week against UCLA. All right, and number 10, finally, can Mississippi State get it done on the road at Kentucky? Well, if you look at Mississippi State, man, they've been playing really good, man. And if you look at the game against LSU, too, in a lot of ways, Mississippi State, not that they had that game on their racket, but... They were in a really good spot early in that game of kind of running away from LSU. And LSU just kind of hung around, hung around, then took advantage of Mississippi State's mistakes. A couple of key mistakes there in special teams that Mississippi State took, that that LSU took advantage of and inevitably won the game. So I think Mississippi State's in a great spot right now with what they're doing. However, there's always seems to be a game or two when they just don't have their best stuff. If that's this weekend, they could obviously be in trouble. Kentucky is a difficult one to kind of wrap your head around right now. That was a really substandard performance from them last week. Granted, I know it was with the backup quarterback, 
but it was clear that the back of quarterback wasn't ready to take over at any point. I know that they're also at less than 100% along the offensive line, but the offensive line all year has been kind of disappointing. And now they're going to be going up against a team in Mississippi State that loves to pressure the quarterback, loves to bring blitzes. And what if Will Levis isn't sitting at 100%? He's going to take some hits when playing against Mississippi State's defense. So, man, I, this is a fascinating game to me because I think Mississippi State is definitely the better team. I think they're playing better at the moment. I think they have some momentum that's been created since that loss against LSU. But I also think at the same time, man, Kentucky, this is kind of desperation mode for Kentucky. If they want to have, like many talked about there in the preseason, this was going to be the year. This was the year that they were going to contend in the SEC East. They still have games against Tennessee. They still have games against Georgia. Well, they're already sitting at four and two. You get a loss against Mississippi State. Now you're sitting at four and three with two likely losses coming up against Tennessee and Georgia. Now is the year that was once promising. Now could be a seven and fiver at best. I mean, that's that's a pretty significant eye raiser if you're Kentucky. So I think this is desperation mode for the Cats. They have to get it done this week. And I hope that Will Levis is capable of going because I really believe that they are a completely different team when he's the quarterback naturally. He's uh, obviously a very gifted player, but that offense, man, that performance in general from Kentucky last week had me wanting to burn the tape. But can they get off the, the snide this week and get things going against Mississippi State? We'll find out. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right. The most underappreciated position right now in college football is, no, it's not the receiver or the defensive tackle or the middle linebacker. You might be surprised to find out that the most underappreciated position, and in some cases it's too appreciated, but more on that down the road, the backup quarterback spot. Have you noticed the trend that's going on right now in college football? Yes, across the landscape, from the best teams to the worst teams, we've seen backup quarterbacks aplenty. Some come off the bench to maybe help their team out because their quarterback was lost. Some have come in and had to start multiple games because the starting quarterback was lost. We've seen guys play terrible. We've seen guys play great. But so far this year, it has been remarkable how many backup quarterbacks have been thrust into action because of an injury to the starter. In some cases, it's been poor play, too. And we've seen backup quarterbacks come on in relief when the opening day starter's just not getting the job done. So we've seen that as well. But I'm going to focus almost exclusively on just injuries and or things like that. So 
I'm going to read you the list of teams that have relied so far on a backup quarterback to play meaningful snaps. You're going to be shocked when you really get down to it. All right, let's go not by order of importance, not by order of anything else other than the fact that it's just literally numerical order, like or not numerical, alphabetical order. All right, ACC, let's start there. A, right? Works enough. There have been five teams out of 14 in the ACC that have relied on backup quarterbacks. All right. And if you want to add Notre Dame to the mix, and six out of 15, because Notre Dame right now is on a backup quarterback. Are they not? Drew Pine has been inserted into the lineup the last few weeks because Tyler Buckner was lost for the season in week two. But NC State, Devin Leary, he's out right now. Had a backup come in last week, had to clean it up. Somehow found a way to get a win. Not pretty, but they found a way. Either way, NC State. Wake Forest, Sam Hartner wasn't available the first couple of weeks. Louisville, they get a win last week with their backup quarterback, Pitt. Keaton Slovis has been lost on multiple different occasions. Backup quarterbacks been thrust in the lineup. And Miami, this one for poor play. Van Dyke was replaced by Garcia a few weeks ago. So five teams plus Notre Dame in the ACC. Let's go to the Big 12. 12 teams in the Big 12. How about five there? TCU, Chandler Morris started the season, right? In comes Max Duggan. Look what he's done so far, Ben. Absolutely off the charts. Kansas, Jalen Daniels, amazing to start the year. Yeah, lost last week against TCU. In comes Jason Bean. He gives him a chance. Texas, Hudson Card comes in a relief of Quinn Ewers, gives him a chance against, against Alabama. Almost had it. Didn't quite get it, but almost had it. Yes, he loses to AM, or excuse me, AM, loses to Texas Tech, but gets a win against West Virginia. It's a win against UTSA. Hudson Card kept him afloat. Then you also have Oklahoma. What happened? By the way, when Dylan Gabriel went sideline and wasn't able to play against Texas, Oklahoma, really in the last seven quarters, has been awful offensively because they don't have a quality backup quarterback. Are you catching the, the trend here? The importance of the position? And the portal, by the way, which maybe you're, if you're a backup quarterback and you don't win the job, maybe you should stick around. You know, I mean, Hendon Hooker, by the way, the guy that's the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, remember last year he started the season as a backup quarterback. Yeah, but you don't want to focus on that, right? Better get to the portal. Better get to the place where greener pastures prevail. Let's go to the Big Ten. Three teams in the Big Ten so far have relied on backup quarterbacks for extended minutes. Aiden O'Connell's gone down. Michigan, we all know that Cade McNamara was lost, but J.J. McCarthy now is ultimately the guy. He's played great. And then Illinois this past week, they lose Tommy DeVito. In comes Sikowski. Wasn't pretty. But he gets him a win nonetheless. The Pac-12, there's been three there as well. Arizona State is that a couple of guys. Chance Nolan went down for Oregon State and Colorado's played a few guys as well. The SEC, no one has fallen victim more to this situation than the SEC. I can't believe how many guys have been lost in the SEC. And I was surprised as I was going down the list. All right, Kentucky, that's been mentioned. Kentucky lost last week when Will Levis was unable to go to South Carolina. Vanderbilt has played multiple guys. Mike Wright was the guy initially in the season, was replaced, and they've kind of had a swan goes in. He was lost last week and goes right again. Couldn't throw it. Bad situation there at Vandy. Bama, Jalen Milrow has to start for the injured Bryce Young. Last week, didn't play well. Almost kind of fumbled the game away. Almost threw a couple picks. It wasn't pretty for Alabama. Ole Miss, they've played multiple quarterbacks early this year as they were trying to figure out who was going to be the guy in the first few weeks. LSU. Yeah, you might remember. Well, hang on a second. Jaden Daniels started every game. Yeah, I know. But Nussmeyer had to go in against Auburn because Jaden Daniels got hurt. Nussmeyer had to go in uh, at the end of the New Mexico game because Jaden Daniels got hurt. Like Nussmeyer's played meaningful minutes. I mean, that was a three-point game against Auburn. Nussmeyer was on the field there as the game was going final there in the fourth quarter. Auburn, of course, played multiple quarterbacks this year. A&M has lost 
well, Haynes King was a guy. Then it was Max Johnson. Then he got hurt and goes Haynes King. Then you have Arkansas, who last week, KJ Jefferson couldn't go. Look at how bad their quarterback situation was. They look terrible in the loss to Mississippi State. So you look at this, man, and this is a big picture just to show you where we're at. That's just in the Power Five. That's just in the Power Five. You have five in the ACC, five in the Big 12. That's 10. 13 if you add the Big 10. 16 if you add the Pac-12. And then in the SEC, you've had eight different teams that is that have relied on backup quarterbacks plus Notre Dame. Maybe if you don't win the quarterback job, stick around. I'm not saying you need to settle or just be, you know, be a nuisance to become a cancer in the locker room. I'm not, I just think hanging around, you never know when your number may get called. And based on some of the offenses and how quarterbacks have been exposed so far this year to potential violent hits, the likelihood of you being inserted into the lineup for meaningful snaps is increasingly high. Stay the part. And remember, if you don't have a backup quarterback nowadays in college football, you are in serious trouble. Macri, which backup? Ooh, that's a tough call. Backup quarterback that's done the best job so far. You want me to say Notre Dame? I know you do. That's I, I don't goal. want you. To, I, I, I want you to just tell I the know truth. what you want yes, me to say. Three, you know, but what about that. Max Duggan? Yeah, I, but I know. I think Max Duggan is the obvious answer right now. I mean, he's been phenomenal. Uh, thrust into the lineup. Granted, it was late against Colorado. Morris gets hurt. In comes Max Duggan, plays a little bit there at the end against Colorado. But, man, he has been on an absolute tear from week two all the way through this week. Of course, got a huge game coming up this week against Oklahoma State. So really looking forward to seeing if he can continue on this toward pace. But right now, tell me this. If you had a Heisman vote, if you had a Heisman vote, and you could only put down one of three guys on the list as a Heisman Trophy you know, finalist, if you will, tell me Max Duggan wouldn't be under consideration. He would be. He absolutely would be. And his situation is awfully similar to that of Hendon Hooker. Lost the quarterback battle in the preseason. Lost it. Starting quarterback gets injured early in the year. Max Duggan's now gone in, seized control of the job, and now it's his job. Same thing with Hendon Hooker last year. Lost the job to Joe Milton. Joe Milton turns his ankle against Pitt in week two. In goes Hendon Hooker. The rest is history. Look what he's doing right now. Stay the course. I'm not saying you have to stay the course indefinitely because there have been plenty of quarterbacks that have transferred only to find success. Yeah, those are the ones that are talked about. You know what? There's an awful lot of guys that transfer only to find failure on the other end of that transfer. So stay the course, continue to grind, continue to get better, and you never know when your number may be called, and you better be ready when your number is called because your team will need you. All right, great show today. Really appreciate you being with us. Awesome. I love the Wednesday show, being able to dive into all these different questions, all the different angles, some of the biggest storylines, some of the biggest headlines potentially coming up this weekend. And then, of course, also diving into the back of quarterback spot, man, an underappreciated spot right now in college football. You look at how many teams don't have one and how many teams have paid the price for not having one. It's significant right now. That's for sure. We've had a ton of quarterback injuries at the Power 5 level. And I know we didn't even do the Group of 5. I can only imagine what the numbers look like in the Group of 5 as well. So obviously significant and fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Hopefully a lot of those guys that have been banged up, that have missed time, they can get back sooner than later because, man, backup quarterback games, uh, games that like 
Illinois and Iowa, those aren't fun games to watch. (laughs) Not at all. For all of us here at Always College Football, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. Hit us up in our social media at AlwaysCFB. That's on Instagram and on Twitter. Hit us up on our email at AlwaysCollegeFootball at gmail.com. We love the interaction. We look forward to continuing to interact with you. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Foster, for Jack Schrail, For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Remember, it's always college football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.